we talked about on Thursday, RFK Jr. quoted a completely unhinged offensive conspiracy theory that COVID was a genetically engineered bioweapon that may have been ethnically targeted to spare Jewish people and Chinese people. Uh, you got to hear it to believe Jewish it. Here's a clip. COVID-19, there's an argument that it is ethnically targeted. COVID-19 attacked certain races disproportionately. The, uh, the, the, the races that are most of you immune to COVID-19 are because of the, of the structure of the, of, of the genetic structure of uh, the genetic differential among different races. Ukraine that they started putting out in the beginning of the war. They were part of what the Russians were saying when they invaded was they needed to save all of us from these bio labs. Um, look, I think ah. there's been a lot of ah. debate as to whether or not COVID emerged from a wet market or a, some kind of government facility. These are both red herrings. It was from right. Wuhan's only delicatessen. Um, <laughs> that is where uh, the Jewish doctors, the uh, which is a lot like saying ATM H1 machine. Uh, as well as um, the Asian people that conservatives claim had their spots at Harvard stolen by black people got together and cooked this whole thing up. And I, for one, um, think that uh, COVID-19... Oh, oh, there he is. um, um, ...is finally something that's being exposed. And do I wish it was by someone who wasn't a crank, who sounds like the character in a movie who's uh, dying in a desert and telling someone where a treasure is? Uh, sure, I do. <laughs> Did you come up with COVID-19? Uh, no, several people texted it to me during, <laughs> during our meeting when I was trying to come up with what to call it. Um, uh, I was trying to do something with Shiksa, and I didn't land on anything. Uh, that's funny, too. Yeah. I do like that. I like the Wuhan delicatessen. I mean, so that, you know, he, he in response... He attacks the press. He said, oh, it's supposed to be off the record, and then they showed the clip, and they had the clip. Uh, he said that he doesn't believe and never implied that the ethnic effect was deliberately engineered. It, it seems fairly obvious in the clip that that's not really what happened at all. And then he tweeted a link to a paper. The paper he shared, by the way, uh, which is like a study, a health study, and uh, it, sh- it speculates that certain genetic mutations 
may increase COVID severity, but that they are, even if they are maybe in some ethnic group, they are extremely rare and have no bearing on public health or the broader, uh, or have any broader conclusion that there are, forget about deliberately targeted, that there are ethnic groups that because of genetic mutations are more or less immune. It's just completely of a problem. As usual, if you like dig into all of his sort of COVID vaccine conspiracies, what he does is like he takes these these studies, these scientific studies, and he, you know, intentionally or not, completely misreads them, jumps to conclusion, and then they get mixed in with other complete fabricated conspiracies like the Russian disinformation that you mentioned. So it's like this, this stew of like, there's a little bit of piece of something in a, in, a, yeah. in a study, and then it's mixed with something crazy, and then he just says it. RK Jr. is the final boss of doing his own research. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's what it is. It's yeah. just, you know, I'm not I'm not saying it. Go look up the studies. And it's and he tweets it's, the study and, and everyone's like, well, this looks like a legitimate study. And all his fans like, oh. And I and like he is a good like it is good to he's a good example to point to because he is the he is the most cranked, like, you know, on the spectrum of flat earthers uh, uh, to, I don't know, like kind of mainstream conservatives. He is sort of closer now to the flat earther side. But all of those people in this sort of misinformation swamp, your Jordans Peterson, all those guys, like, this is what they do. They find the study, they miss, they, they, they say they have facts they and backing and all this information, but it's just a sort of, a sort of fusillade line. Well, you, even even the referencing the study, I think there was some reference maybe to like Ashkenazi Jews or Sephardic Jews. There's a cohort, this yeah. receptor. Uh, a million people in China died from COVID. Clearly, this wasn't genetically engineered to protect them, right? So, what, like, it's just a nest, nesting too. dolls of bullshit on top of no. bullshit that weaves together these conspiracy theories. It's impossible to fact check. It was like what Jake Tapper was telling us about the piece that RFK Jr. wrote for Rolling Stone uh, yeah. and some other outlet at Slate, I can't remember. Um, Jerry picks pieces of information, fabricates other parts, and then uses language like fear and cleave docking site, but has no real idea what he's talking about, but his fans want to believe it because they're like, ah, yes, there is some big bad other out there pulling the springs, strings and, and trying to control us. And when you believe that kind of conspiracy theory, you are inevitably going to end up blaming the Jewish people because that is what's happened for thousands of years. If you followed any like really good doctors and researchers during the pandemic on Twitter, these poor people spent most of their time trying to correct idiots who would read these studies and like just just misread them, either like intentionally or not. And it's it's tough because like these scientific studies are like they're they're a little dense, <laughs> you know. They're not they're not very easy to understand all the and time. They're not written for Twitter. They're not written for Twitter, right? And then what happens is people on Twitter, idiots on Twitter, pick out some small part of it out of context and they spread it around to everyone. They get everyone scared and it happens all over the place. And he is the final boss of it. Well, it's, like, it's funny though because like you know. John, you and I especially, like I know we've I know because you and I we we like we had the experience of feeling as though the way research was being interpreted, even by mainstream outlets, was also confusing and misleading and cherry picking. And you and I would go back and forth, like with studies, but like not in the way that like we would just like, read them and be like, "This is what someone else is saying. Oh, this, this is what is his what expert is. saying." Like, Tommy, don't get vaccinated. This <laughs> is and then we'd be like, "We got to ask Andy Slavitt about this." Yeah, <laughs> we go right to Slavitt. Let's get Dr. Walker on the yeah. pod. Yeah, yeah. We got to get, get, get the. We the source. We get the raw data. <laughs> Most scientific research papers are profoundly unsatisfying because they don't come to the bad conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, you take ten thousand.
thousand of them, and then you have a body of research that leads you in one general direction that's mostly right. But it's funny, it's like there was just a week of headlines, but it's sort of like, it is the kind of like noisy, the noisy information environment that also helps these people take off because there was a week of stories about Diet Coke causing cancer that everyone was thrilled to tell me about because they know I love Diet Coke because oh, everyone yeah. has a Freudian death drive. Yeah. And they're like ruining something cool for me <laughs> from, my, from my cold, refreshed dead hands. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you have to go in. It's like, you know, that is an overstatement of what the study said. Oh. Actually, no, they're not saying this is actually compared to that. And like, that is, that is the... That is and it's only if you're vaccinated. No, this is all us talking about, you know, trying to debate things with rational people. Uh, Media Matters uh, put together a compilation of what actual uh, anti-Semites and Nazis, how they responded to RFK Jr.'s yeah. uh One neo-Nazi said, based RFK Jr. says COVID was genetically engineered to spare Jews. A hilarious thing to say, and I totally support it. Another Holocaust denier. RFK is 100% correct. Uh, the a neo-Nazi site. I fully support any presidential candidate saying things like this that make Jews upset. And on and on and on and on. So... Had that effect, which is just just wonderful. Terrible. Wonderful that he's been a while since Camelot. Uh, well, then uh, you know uh, the Kennedys were out in full force on Twitter denouncing him today. Carrie Kennedy, his sister, Joe Kennedy. Ugh, what a mess. Little what a Thanksgiving this will be. Yeah, it's also a little late. What a mess. Yeah, the, the, the neo-Nazi use quote you read, I'm not going to name him, also said, I don't even really understand what exactly this means, but clearly the implication... So this guy's like, I don't know what this guy is talking about, but I love it because it's anti-Semitic. That's how Nazis here with me. Yeah, the perfect combination of just uh, ignorance and hate. Uh, we'll be right back to talk to Rana Epting and Matt Bennett about the left-center-left alliance that's out to stop no labels from electing Donald Trump. Thought in America is brought to you by Helix. If you're looking for better sleep, you need to upgrade your mattress with Helix. The Helix lineup offers 20 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released and high-end Helix Elite Collection, mm. a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids, which Charlie has. Charlie has a Helix mattress now, just for kids, in his uh, race car bed. Very excited, very happy about it. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and uh, it ships straight to your door free of charge. They even offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. And we're back. A few hours from now, Democrat Joe Manchin and Republican John Huntsman will headline a town hall in New Hampshire, hosted by No Labels, the third party group threatening to get on the ballot in 2024. Joining us today are two people who represent a broad coalition of left to center left opposition to No Labels plans to potentially play the role of spoiler in the next election. Rana Epting of Move On and Matt Bennett of Third Way. Rana and Matt, welcome to the pod. Thanks. Thank you. So, uh, people listening uh, know how I feel about no labels, uh, but let's start here. We know that you know we've got a closely divided electorate. There is a critical and potentially decisive group of voters who identify as moderate, complain about partisanship, prioritize unity, don't want a Biden-Trump rematch, and you know may like the idea of a younger moderate Democrat and a younger moderate Republican running together. Uh, and maybe they think that ticket can win, or maybe they just think it's it's worth a shot. Um, Matt, as someone who spent a long time yeah, at a moderate, moderate center-left Democratic organization, yeah, what, do. what do you tell those voters about a no-label ticket? 
I tell them that it is an incredibly bad idea and they should stay away from it like it is the plague. Um, first of all, I don't have to tell you or your listeners that this is probably, it's, we say it every cycle, but this is the most important election of all time, uh, particularly if Trump is the nominee, which looks like he's going to be. And what we have to understand about what No Labels is pitching here is that they're not offering up a protest candidate. I mean, Jill Stein wasn't telling the world she was going to be the next president in the United States. Ralph Nader wasn't saying that back in 2000. The last guy to say that really was Ralph uh, was a rough row in 1996, sort of, but really in 1992. And uh, he didn't come anywhere close. He didn't win a single state. The problem with what No Labels is offering is they say they're offering a choice between these two guys that you may not love. But what they're offering is an illusion, an illusion that somehow their candidate is going to defy history, going to do what no one has been able to do before. The guy carved into Mount Rushmore who tried to do this and he failed uh, and they're going to win the election. And if you buy that and you, and you, you give them your vote, you might help reelect Donald Trump and that would be a catastrophe. So. Nancy Jacobson, uh, who's one of the No Labels co-founders, she wrote an op-ed for the New Hampshire Union leader where she argued uh, Democrats and anti-Trump Republicans are working to deny voters the chance to vote for a third-party candidate, which is particularly ironic for Democrats who talk about defending democracy and voters' rights. Um, uh, Rena, what's your response to that argument? Yeah, No Labels consistently is... is reporting out there that them offering a third party presidential candidate is about giving people choice or it's about saving democracy in some way. In fact, it's not. It's exactly the opposite. It's as if Matt says, it will definitely swing the election towards a Republican, which is most likely Trump in this case. And if it's not, it'll be some some other nominee that will be beholden to a very extreme MAGA base here. Um, And if they're so interested in protecting and safeguarding American democracy, then this is not the strategy one would choose to do that. If you're so interested in doing that, you would work to make uh, President Biden and influence President Biden and his agenda to to be a pro-democracy agenda, which is exactly what many of us across the Democratic coalition have been doing the last couple of years. And it's been effective. You've seen him govern in a very bipartisan fashion, in a very moderate fashion, and use the leverage and the power of his office to ensure that government delivers for people. So I just don't buy it. Um, and I think the most generous interpretation of no label strategy is that they're ill-advised. Uh, but the other version is they're they're not telling the truth. I'm not quite sure why they're actually running this campaign because every strategic reason they're putting out there doesn't pass muster. Well, let's dig into the polling a little bit. Um, you know, Nancy also argues, you know, the polling that shows them spoiling the race for Trump, uh, spoiling the race in favor of Trump, uh, actually just shows that they have a solid floor in the polling and that they will grow from there. So their argument is we're not a spoiler. We can win this thing. We don't even have candidates yet. Once we get candidates, there's enough voters who'd be interested that we could actually win this thing. Matt, what is uh, what does your polling say about that, and what's the general argument that uh, makes you guys believe that that is dead wrong? Well, uh, every poll that we've seen on this, including the no labels poll, shows the exact same thing. 
either Biden is narrowly ahead in a two-way race with Trump, or it's basically tied within the margin of error. That's what their poll showed. That's what the prime group poll that came out last week showed. That's what all the public polling shows. And then their poll shows that when you add a third-party candidate, in their case, it was uh, an unnamed independent moderate, so kind of a, you know, a pony or a unicorn or whatever you want to make of that. That candidate ends up in a distant third place with about 20% of the vote. That's what the prime group found. That's what the public polling finds. And that is going to be the high watermark because, of course, if you tell someone, would you like to vote for someone unnamed who is an independent moderate, it sounds a lot better than, here's a person with lots of flaws, who's done lots of things in their career that you don't like, and maybe you like Bernie, and maybe you like Joe Manchin, and you have this fantasy in your head of what that person may be like. So the support is at a high point when you don't name the candidate, it goes down from there. The label says the opposite. They say it goes up from there. And here's how they do it. In their poll, they come in a distant third, but they say, okay, but there's 18% of the voters are undecided, and we're going to win 70% of the undecideds. That's what they say, which is insane. That has never happened. And then they say... We're also going to win 4 to 5% of the Trump voters and 4.5% of the Biden voters. But that is to say people who picked Trump or Biden in a three-way race a year and a half before the election. So all of that is bananas. Not a single pollster worth their salt would ever suggest that that is possible. And that is the basis for their entire case. It also seems like even if they won every single swing state that's competitive, in order for a third party ticket to win the presidency, they would need to win either deep blue states or deep red states, which is pretty impossible considering that uh, partisans tend to vote for their party. And if you have a state where the majority of the electorate is favors Democrats or favors Republicans, it's very hard to win a state like that, right? I'll just throw one more comment on this and turn to Ron, but if you, if you haven't seen it, I beg you to look at the map that they put out, the Electoral College map. You know, I've done great their own maps now. Uh, they put one out. Uh, they put their states in gold. And to your point, the problem for them is if they win all the swing states and they win all the states decided by 10 points or less in 2020, that gets them to 187 electoral votes, which means they're way, way short of 270. And even though that in and of itself is a fantasy, then they get into real wish casting, like they're going to win Delaware, a Biden state. They're going to win Hawaii and Rhode Island and Illinois, states that Joe Biden won by 30 points or more. They're going to win Alaska that Trump won by 20 points or more. So it is, if you know anything about politics, their map is laughable on its face. No independent analyst will even dignify it with a response because it's so crazy. To Matt's point, he's basically something that I've been astonished by. Is just imagine bringing this strategic proposal into any election you know, room in the country. You'd be laughed out in a second. And so I'm trying to imagine why is this being taken so seriously. And I think the only reason is because they have tens of millions of dollars behind them. I think it is an ill-advised effort. It is not strategic. Yes, we want more choice in this country. Yes, we want democracy to thrive in this country. This is not the strategic way to do it. And the only reason this is actually a threat, because there's some donors in a room that they've convinced this is a smart strategy, or there are donors in a room that actually want to play the election to Donald Trump, 
Either way, this is a mess, and we have to stop it. Rana, um, New Labels put out a policy platform over the weekend, and of course they've got this town hall uh, with Huntsman and Mansion. Do you all plan on making an argument that No Labels policies, their platform, and their potential candidates would be bad for the country, or are you mainly focused on the argument that No Labels can't win? And I ask that because for voters, just telling people, oh, if you if you vote for these candidates who maybe you're interested in or want to give a shot, um, we have polling, we're experts, we have polling that says that they're not going to win and that we're just going to throw the election to Trump. Or do you tell them, by the way, this is what no label stands for, this is the positions they've taken, and by the way, these are the candidates they've chosen. Well, how, how do you think about that? I think it's both. So first of all, on their agenda, number one is that they just made it up. They went in a room <laughs> in D.C., they created this policy agenda. It's not tied to actual real people on the ground. They don't have a membership base. They don't have really any genuine connections to voters in this country beyond, you know, polls uh, developed by consultants. So this is a fictitious agenda they've created. Uh, and once they actually, if they get to the point where they actually name candidates, those candidates, as they have said themselves, will develop their own agenda. Uh, number two, you want a bipartisan agenda the most Americans can agree on, look at President Biden's agenda. <laughs> he has passed dozens of bipartisan bills um, across the policy spectrum, from gun violence prevention reform to CHIPS Act to the PACT Act to the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. And he's leveraged the power of his office through reconciliation to provide some of the most sweeping green jobs and climate-friendly legislation that this country will ever see that will really reconstruct the economic and build the economic infrastructure across this country in communities that have been under-resourced under for decades. So I don't know what, what policy agenda they're going to be creating, but the one they presented today it's not based in reality. It's not based in the current Congress that this president has and what's viable. It's not based on the number of votes that they can get in the House or the Senate, just based on a wish list that right now I think just really has no bearing or no relevance to the, to the discussion. It also completely um, skips taking a position on abortion, which was one of the most important issues for voters in the midterms. Rana, what do you make of that? Look, abortion is one of the most, if not the most, mobilizing factors uh, in the 2022 election. It will be one of the most mobilizing factors in the 2024 election. And I think at the end of the day, um, we live in a two-party system. There will be two major parties contesting for power in the presidential election. And Joe Biden has made his position clear that he believes it should be the right of women and, and people that can and um, get pregnant to decide what happens to their own bodies. And that's, that's the position that most Americans approve of. Have either of your organizations done polling on the most effective argument to voters against no labels and what they're trying to do? Uh, we haven't done that because, to tell you the truth, this isn't a conversation happening with the broad electorate. It is among people interested enough in politics to listen to this podcast or watch MSNBC to some extent, but mostly this is happening among donor class and the people around no labels who might end up on their ticket. So we haven't done uh, anything around that, but I, I will say, first of all, very much agree with everything Ronald just said, but the other thing to your question about that voter out there who says, eh, don't tell me about the polls, I'm going to decide based on what I feel. 
I think it's just vitally important that we make one distinction. If you hate Joe Biden and Donald Trump so much that you cannot bring yourself to vote for either of them, okay, recognize what you're doing. You're, you're, you're issuing a protest vote. You're voting for somebody who isn't going to be president, but you just can't stomach the two guys at the, uh, from the major parties. Yeah, well, and that's a perfectly vote. legitimate thing to do if, if that is where your politics yeah, take you. However, conscience. if you're voting for somebody because you love this agenda they put out, not only is it fake, as Rana just pointed out, it isn't going to be the agenda of the president because there is zero chance that that person will be president. So we just have to make sure voters understand what they're doing. So No Labels keeps claiming that they don't want to be a spoiler, uh, they don't want Trump elected, and that they will drop their plans if it looks like they'll hand the race to Trump. Um, Matt, do you have any idea what their criteria is for making that decision, and when would they decide that? So they have articulated about nine different criteria, all many of them conflicting. Uh, what they have said is, if Joe Biden is way, way out ahead, we will not run a candidate. Now, no one's been way, way out ahead in the presidential race since 1988. So that isn't going to happen. Uh, second thing they've said is, uh, well, if Ron DeSantis is the nominee of the Republican Party, we won't run. Well, that's clarifying. Then they, they seem to really like Ron DeSantis and Republicans. Uh, third, they've said, if it doesn't look like it's happening in August of 2024, we won't run. That's impossible because they won't control the candidate at that point. And in fact, early voting starts in September, so their candidate's name is going to be on those ballots, whether they want it or not. But the big one they've said is they're going to do a big poll in March of, of next year, after Super Tuesday in the Republican primary, and that poll will determine whether they go forward or not. Now, we don't know why they would do that, because spring polling is notoriously bad. Spring polling showed Barack Obama losing in 2012. Spring polling has showed all kinds of results that did not happen. And it is especially bad with third party candidates. Ross Perot was leading the race in the spring before the 1992 election. He ended up winning zero states. So we don't understand any of those criteria. Um, Rana, you were mentioning this early, earlier, but um, how much do we know about the people behind No Labels and the people funding that organization? And are those answers part of the argument you're making to donors, political strategists, uh, and, and other political nerds. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, uh, first of all, I'll say we don't know enough. But what we have found out is not that promising. <laughs> very concerning. Um, we know that the very notorious Harlan Crow, the right-wing donor to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, has given to no labels. We know that donors associated with Jared Kushner and Ron DeSantis have given to no labels. And um, we know that there are a number of folks that were on the more uh, Democratic side that were associated with no labels that are now dropping off, either publicly or quietly. So they may not be donors, but we know members of the Problem Solvers Caucus, this caucus of Democrats and Republicans that want to come together to do bipartisan work for the last two years. Many of the uh, folks associated with Problem Solvers Caucus have come out and saying, we denounce this effort at a third party presidential ticket. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about creating a bipartisan you know, governance structure. Um, so I think all signs point to this effort is much far, much more leaning in the Republican direction 
Um, but we are digging in to see who is behind it, and that is really important. And if anything, all that we're finding time and time again, it's just raising more eyebrows. And Rana, I mean, they, they also endorsed Trump in 2016, I believe, right? No, like, no labels did? I'm not sure, Matt. Is that true? They, well, it depends on what you mean by endorsed, but yeah, sort of. They, they held an event in New Hampshire in 2016 where they gave him, I'm not making this up, the problem solver seal of approval. Right. That's what it was. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Beyond parody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, that raises a question, and, and Rana, you sort of got to this earlier too. Like, do you think these people believe what they're selling? Or are they actually malign actors? Okay, so I like to uh, give people the benefit of the doubt. That's generally my orientation in life. But when you look at their polling, you look at their strategy, you look at the facts at hand, there is no way you could deduce that their intention is truly what they're saying it is, which is to advance democracy and give voters a choice. It doesn't add up. It makes no sense. And so it just leads me to believe there is an ulterior motive here that we don't know. And all I, all we can surmise is that they actually are okay swinging the election towards Donald Trump. So it sounds like to me they'd rather have their third-party candidate, and they're just hoping they win by uh, through a wish and a prayer because the strategy isn't there. And if they don't, they're fine with Donald Trump being president. That's not what most folks signing up for and that's not what they wanted in 2020 not what most voters wanted in 2022 and it sure as heck won't be what they want in 2024 man i want to talk a little bit about what um both your organizations are trying to do here because i take your point that it's too early in the process to be delivering a message to voters since you know they're not on the ballot yet everywhere um are you guys trying to shame no labels are you trying to get prominent political leaders to speak out against no labels? Are there any big names who haven't yet, who you'd like to take a stand? What's what's sort of the goal of this effort? What we really need to do ultimately is ensure that credible candidates don't agree to run on their ballot line because we're not going to be able to separate them from their money. They're very, very good at raising money and they already raised a whole bunch of it. Uh, what we and, and it's a free country. If you have enough money, you can buy your way onto ballots because you can you know hire people to gather petitions and, and do it the right way, and they're going to be on the ballot. The only thing we can do is try to convince the people like Joe Manchin and Larry Hogan and others who are toying with this, try to convince them that this would be a terrible way to end a very successful political career. You don't want to go, Joe Manchin. Just, to be, just remember what Joe Manchin has done. He won statewide twice in a state that voted for Trump by 39 points two times. So they went Trump by 39, Manchin, Trump by 39. That's pretty amazing. What he doesn't want to do is end up as a Jill Stein-level loser getting 3% of the vote. And that's what we really need to convince him and everybody else who's thinking about this. Uh, even if they don't care, as Rana says, if they're not motivated by the fact that re-electing Donald Trump would be a catastrophe, maybe they're motivated by the fact that they, they will go down in history as a loser. Well, I know Joe Manchin's a huge fan of this podcast, so hope he's listening to this episode. Uh, Rana, is there is there anything that people listening can do to help? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to make a shameless plug, but you can go to moveon.org slash no labels and sign up there. Um, we are doing early work around educating millions of MoveOn members across the country around what no labels is trying to do. Because uh, I do think it's a story, if you're not paying attention, that you could buy. I mean, 
you could buy this is a legitimate third party candidate. Finally, finally, we've got a third party candidate that really can win. Uh, but what we're what we're telling we're showing the data to our members are showing uh, basically everything Matt went through in terms of their strategy. It doesn't add up. So that's super important. Um, and we'll also be calling on members of Congress and U.S. senators to denounce this effort and doing much, much more. So folks can sign up with moveon.org slash no labels. And that's where folks across the country can take action to stop them in their tracks. Matt, um, no labels is currently on the ballot in Colorado, Alaska, Oregon, Utah, and uh, I think the scariest state because it's the closest, Arizona. Um, where else are they getting close to getting on the ballot or, in your opinion, uh, likely to get on the ballot? We don't know exactly. All we know is anecdotally where someone is you know, intercepted by a ballot signature gatherer. Um, but I can tell you that we know they're actively gathering in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, obviously in the swing states. Uh, we know from looking at their map where they feel like they have to win. I don't think they're going to try to get on the ballot in small, super red states like Idaho uh, because they won't win there and it's whatever, three electoral votes. But they're going to be actively trying to get on pretty much everywhere. Under the law, and remember the laws vary by state, but under state laws, they can do this ahead of having a nominee in 35 states. Uh, there are 15 others where they have to have nominated someone to kind of be a political party first. But the other thing I think to remember about what Liberals is doing is they're doing this as a 501c4 organization. And that means they do not have to disclose their donors. As Rana said, their donors are secret. The donors can give an unlimited amounts. And they're competing against the Democratic and Republican parties have to disclose their donors, and their donors can only give up to $2,900. So they are gaming the system, and they're doing it very effectively. So I think they're going to be on in a lot of places. Uh, last question for you. Uh, you know, you ha you work for an organization that, you know, has for a long time tried to chart a middle path between progressives and conservatives. Has it been hard to turn around and, and, and make an argument like... Don't trust these people uh, when the ideological thrust of what they're trying to do is roughly in line with what uh, what you guys have tried to do. Yeah, I mean, our middle path really isn't between the left and conservatives. It's just kind of a center-left approach and, and bloody mind, and, you know, they haven't been really relevant to us a long time. Yes, the answer is yes. Uh, one of the people that Ron was hinting at, uh, who has left no labels, is a guy named Bill Galston. He's one of the kind of intellectual forefathers of the center-left movement. Uh, he worked very closely with President Clinton. Uh, and the people who run no labels were our allies and our friends. And it's been very difficult for us to, to make this public fight with them. But we think that there's nothing more important. And we are proud to be allied with people all across the spectrum who are standing up in opposition to this. And Rana, last question to you. Um, and I know you're familiar with this probably because of uh, move on and the constituency that, that you all represent. How how uh, concerned are you about the uh, Cornell West third party candidacy as a potential Green Party candidate? You know, we love Cornell. We've we've worked with him for years. Um, I think he's a wonderful person, good intentions. Um, Cornell doesn't have seventy million plus dollars behind him. Cornell Cornell knows how presidential politics work. At the end of the day, he's going to do the right thing and. Really, we're really focused on no labels third party candidates because these guys are, are serious. They're um, they're driving a very dangerous strategy for this country. They're doing a lot of damage, even though they're not on the ticket yet or on, on a ballot yet. Uh, and and that's where we're focused. So.
Rana, Matt, thank you so much for uh, joining Pod Save America and for uh, the work you're doing trying to uh, avoid this catastrophe. So, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Okay, quick thing before we go. Uh, the most anticipated movie of the summer uh, that's not about a nuclear bomb okay, thank you. is out this week. <laughs> Barbie. Uh, and since everything is politics all the time, the trailer has already caused quite a stir. Uh, in it, a map of Barbie world showed a nine-dotted line it's, coming off of China. It's eight dots in the screen. It's eight, it's eight dots. Okay, the non-dotted line is what they claimed it is. Just, sorry, continue. You You're were good. supposed to put together this segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, show, show the map. This, show is, the your, map. this is your responsibility. Correct <laughs> <laughs> me. Leave all of this in. Oh, that wasn't clear. I was telling you, right. I want to see the map. So this map has prompted um, Republicans from Ted Cruz to Marshall Blackburn to accuse the movie of cozying up with the Communist Party of China. I saw the reports about the right about the conservatives claiming that this was a communist map before I saw the map, and they basically say that like the you know Warner. Bro- Tommy, can you explain what this is? The nine-dash line. Nine-dash line. This is how China draws a map in the South China Sea where they claim to own about all of the territory, essentially. (laughs) Like a thousand miles off of their coast, they draw this dotted line to claim all the territory. And uh, everyone else in the world, especially the Vietnamese, the Philippines, Taiwan, Malaysia, and Brunei, say, no, that's not the case. This line takes our territory and gives it to China and violates our sovereignty. It looks like, remember when Trump drew the hurricane line further away? <laughs> it actually yeah, looked, it just sort of like dips all the way down. So anyway, illegal. the conservatives claim that they put the, the nine-dash line on this that. map because there's a dotted line that leaves a cartoon map of Asia on the screen. But I really think it is drawn in such a way as to truly make it unclear if they were trying to do it or not. Well, there's a couple other dotted lines on the map as right, well. Is, anyone, right. is Greenland complaining about the one that's going to Canada? <laughs> I mean, the thing, that's, that, that, that's the response. The, or, or the one that seems to be going from, uh, I don't know, Colombia to, is that Florida? There's also no Europe on this one. Right. Which is a, what are which we is, doing? Which, what is happening? Well, it's not just the Republicans <laughs> that were mad. The Vietnamese said they were investigating the issue. They're kind of trying to punch back. Are they banning uh, the movie in Vietnam? They're, bl- they're going to blur it. About they're going to blur it. And, yeah. But, like, it, it, this has happened before. In 2019, there was an ESPN broadcast that showed a map of China that included uh, the nine-dash line. And people are like, why is this happening? And obviously, Disney has a lot of movies they want to have aired in China. So there's all this kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party, even by U.S. media organizations that want access. So that would be the motivation for actually doing including. Oh, yeah. Well, there's also, I mean, like, there was a there was a, a kerfuffle over the new Top Gun movie because they changed the back of, <laughs> of Tom Cruise's jacket. Uh, I saw Mission Impossible uh, and uh, 10 out of 10, uh, my Thetans loved every moment of it, but uh, um, there's a moment where they refer to this villain that's attacking countries all over the world, and and they refer to uh, Australasia instead yeah. of actually referring to. <laughs> I believe it's real strange. Yeah, I've never heard of. I mean, my favorite example of this is from 2021 when John Cena uh, recorded an apology to the Chinese people because he referred to Taiwan as a country. The quote was. <laughs> 
Taiwan is the first country to watch Fast and Furious 9. That was <laughs> this like hostage video that I think he did in Mandarin, maybe. Yes, no, he did it, and it was very, it's very uncomfortable. Let me read you guys a quote from it. I must say right now, it's very, 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 very important, Cena said. I love and respect China and Chinese people. I'm very, very sorry for my mistake. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's some real groveling when you screw up and maybe get locked out of the Chinese market. Uh, I will say this is a very funny map to be upset about, though. Yeah, it's... it's you guys going to see Barbie? Uh, I, I have my Oppenheimer tickets. I don't yet have my Barbie tickets. You know, my my last shot to really see a movie in the theater when Emily and Charlie were away was this weekend. I, I really hoped it was the weekend. I just missed it by a weekend. Did you go see Mission Impossible? Did they fire? Uh, I, almost, I, almost, yeah, I almost did, but I didn't want to support that Scientologist. Mm. Um, I'm going to see Oppenheimer... And I had to go to one of the theaters that has the 11 mile IMAX. It's 70 millimeters of IMAX, and the movie is so long that the actual film is 11 miles long. At the Chinese theater, they had to like build a bigger Whoa. projector area to, to show it. And I just, I just think it's amazing that Christopher Nolan Sign has somehow man, uh, managed to, I'm ignoring it, has somehow managed to convince a studio to give him like $100 million to make a three-hour bi- biopic. Also, it's really funny. It's about, the, obviously, the creation of the nuclear bomb. They don't, um, he said all the effects are practical. And it's like, I'm sorry, did you go to North Korea and dedicate, like, don't, did you, he's like, it's all practical effects, did you do a nuke test? Is that a term for not digitally? Yeah, they created? didn't add, yeah, they, uh, I think they blew up some explosions. stuff, but it's actual explosions. Jeez. I don't think he, I don't think, I do not yet believe Christopher Nolan has achieved a nuclear bomb. I do not think his nuclear program has gone well, far enough. I, I look forward to his apology if he did. <laughs> very, 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 very <laughs> sorry. Very, very sorry. Um... Okay, well, I'll see Barbie. It seems fun. I'm probably going to wait until it's in It does seem fun. It does seem fun. All right. Uh, Thanks to Rana Epting and Matt Bennett for joining us today. Uh, We will be on Discord Tuesday night for the Trump Town Hall, and we'll talk to you again on Thursday. lefty um, podcasts but y'all seem to enjoy it so put up with it a little bit because you for you just do it for you okay well you can thank me some form or another you're indebted to me <laughs> live Trump gets new criminal target letter on a oh it's live right now yeah nice new target letter Donald does the best I mean, whatever you say, you know, goes sticks back on you. I mean, that's who Donald Trump is. He's a <laughs> investigation into Donald Trump's 2020. Welcome to Political Beatdown. I'm Ben Marcellus, joined by the one, the only, Michael Cohen. And do we have a show for you today? As the kids would say, Michael Cohen 
Sheesh, where where do we begin? Special counsel Jack Smith sends Donald Trump a target letter in the criminal investigation into Donald Trump's 2020 election interference. Donald Trump loses his mind further, if that's even possible. Special counsel Jack Smith was seen at a Washington, D.C. subway sandwich shop. Cool, mm-hmm. calm, okay. collected, just being special counsel Jack Smith himself. Yeah. Meanwhile, a big status conference hearing was just That's held in the celebrates. criminal case filed by special counsel Jack Smith against Donald Trump in Fort Pierce, Florida, held on Tuesday before Judge Eileen Cannon, the judge presiding over the case. Just a reminder, this is the criminal case involving Donald Trump's willful retention of national defense that, like, information and sure obstruction of justice at Mar-a-Lago. Judge Eileen Cannon stated that the December 2023 trial date requested by special counsel Jack Smith's team may be too soon, but she seems skeptical also of Donald Trump's claim that he couldn't get a fair trial in 2024 while running for office. We will break it down. The Georgia Supreme Court rejected a made-up petition filed by Donald Trump in that court directly, skipping like all of the other courts. Trump was apparently seeking to derail Phony Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney criminal investigation and soon to be indictments emanating from Georgia the Georgia I want to contact that subway sandwich shop and um, pay it forward buy 10 10 subway sandwiches a gift certificate Why don't we contact that subway shop and buy Jack Smith free sandwiches forever? <laughs> okay, um, I want to buy, I want to buy Jack Smith. An unlimited supply of free Subway sandwiches. I want to, uh... court issued a two-word ruling, petition denied. Then let's go to the halls of Congress where MAGA Republicans are disgracing our country. Democrats are calling them out. But major breaking news, Michael Cohen, before we went live, just minutes ago, we learned that Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel just indicted the 16th
<laughs> fake electors who signed the fake electoral certificates falsely claiming Trump won in Michigan. Just moments ago, Michael Cohen, Dana Nessel held the press conference. I want to play for you the highlight of it, and I want to get your reaction. Play the clip. That was a lie. They weren't the duly elected and qualified electors, and each of the defendants knew it. They carried out these actions with the hope and belief that the electoral votes of Michigan's 2020 election would be awarded to the candidate of their choosing instead of the candidate that Michigan voters actually chose. Big news, Michael Cohen. Yeah, I mean, let's all give her a real round of applause. Think about just how quickly that she handled this Michigan matter. I mean, it's it's really astounding. I mean, what did she start this thing last week? I mean, you know, two weeks ago, a month ago. I mean, this is the way that the system is supposed to move expeditiously. She's not playing games. Sixteen people rightly, rightly accused of joining Trump in this conspiracy. And you know what? It's like I said, I mean, she really deserves um, a lot of credit moved expeditiously in this. They found the evidence, they had the evidence, and now they're going to prosecute on it. So good for her. And this is, again, all just part of the Trump playbook. He, How many times do I have to repeat the fact that when I sat in front of the House Oversight Committee, I turned around and I told that not just the country, but the world, that if Donald Trump loses, there will never be a peaceful transfer of power. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. There was not going to be a peaceful transfer of power. So how did he determine that he was going to keep the reins of power? Well, you put in the fake electors, they turn around, they claim that Donald Trump won, that Joe Biden lost, despite what the, you know, what the people of Michigan wanted, the Michiganders that they all wanted. And so you put in your own determination. And again, it goes right to the statements that he used to, you know, like to um, parrot that about Vladimir Putin, which is it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the vote. And that's exactly the scheme that they were looking to pull off here. You heard him say that, Cohen, multiple times, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's a comment that he had parroted uh, many, many times. Uh, and again, that's a very uh, Putin-esque Working on a Jim Jordan with the fly heads. With fly heads. Emoji. Uh, type comment. It's exactly Putin esque. Each defendant in this indictment by the Michigan AG has been charged with the following. One no, count mosquito. of conspiracy mosquito. to commit forgery, a 14-year felony. Two counts of Jim forgery, Jordan. a 14-year felony. 
one count of conspiracy to commit uttering and publishing a 14-year felony, one count of uttering and publishing a 14-year felony, one count of conspiracy to commit election law forgery, a five-year felony, two counts of election law forgery, a five-year felony. And if I'm one of those fake electors in other states, like in Georgia, in Fulton County, I know that time is up for me as well. So a very big indictment blockbuster, in fact. And to your point, Michael Cohen, the first time we reported about the Michigan Attorney General's uh, <laughs> criminal investigation was actually in January of 2023. We had A.G. Nessel on the show. And one of the things that she was saying around that time is she hadn't really heard from the Department of Justice and she was kind of waiting for them to take action. And when they did, and she's like, all right, well, I'm going to restart this investigation, which she had started before, but kind of slowed down as she thought the Department of Justice was going to take the reins. But we do know this as well. The Department of Justice met with lots of Michigan officials back mm -hmm. in February and March of this past year. And that is part of the sprawling case that is going to be filed against Donald Trump for election interference. We learned some big news on that today, that a target letter was sent to Donald Trump informing <laughs> him that he is likely going to be indicted soon in connection with the criminal election interference investigation by Special Counsel Jack Smith taking place right now before the D.C. grand jury, you know, um, so allowing Donald Trump to testify before yeah. the grand jury. So when, when it comes to this, I think a lot of people have um, jumped the shark a little bit, right, where they think that this has to do with January 6th, the insurrection. I'm not certain. You know, I'd really like to see the, uh, the full extent of that target letter. There are others that believe, myself included, that the January 6th probe is so significant, meaning there's so many people and so many documents that legitimately we would not see a trial in that case if it was done with 20 lawyers, four to five years. I mean, you have a thousand witnesses that were interviewed by the January 6th committee. You have millions of documents. If I was counsel for the defendant, I would say, I want to speak to each and every one of those witnesses. You know how long it could take you? I mean, that's if you're working seven days a week. Seven days a week, one person is more than three and a half years with no time off. So... You know, even with 20 people, it's still an enormous amount of time that's going to be needed. Then to go through the one million documents and so on, it's a five-year commitment. Well, I think Jack Smith is looking at it a little differently. I think he's looking at it uh, in terms of the pack and how they used the lie. They promoted the lie. They raised money off of the lie for the pack. They never spent the money in terms of the way that the money was raised. And I think that that's a much easier case that doesn't require, you know, a thousand witnesses and a million pages. I think it's very similar in terms of fashion uh, to the Alvin Bragg New, uh, New York District Attorney case. It's documentary evidence that is simple to digest. It's limited in terms of its overall scope. And anyone who listens or reads uh, these documents will understand that they basically prove the truth of the matter asserted.
Well, I agree with you that I think money laundering, wire fraud, and campaign finance violations <laughs> are going to form a major part of this indictment, more major than I think the media has discussed or people traditionally have thought about. But I do think that it is going to focus also on the day of January 6th itself, obstruction of an official proceeding. And I also think Donald Trump could be charged with seditious conspiracy relating to the day of. I think the indictment's also going to focus on the fake elector scheme, exactly what these Michigan fake electors were criminally indicted for, Donald Trump aiding and abetting that. Money laundering and wire fraud also um, the threat that Donald Trump made to local and state election officials like Brad Raffensperger find 11,780 votes or else and also 11, sending MAGA Republican kind of allies who had connections votes. with local election offices like we saw in Coffee County, Georgia where they opened up the doors to a forensic team hired by Donald Trump and basically stole people's election data from the Coffee County, Georgia election offices so that it could be manipulated by uh, Donald Trump and the campaign and, and people very close to Donald Trump to spread the big lie. So I think we're going to see those five things. You know, it was notable today. I want to show you this clip, Cohen, that uh, perfect, perfect time to Call to suspend the Republican Party. Christopher Press. Trump for prison. Special counsel Jack Smith on the eve, or, or rather shortly thereafter, of this breaking news at this Call DOJ. So, um, so it says disqualify all the Republicans for cheating in elections and suspend the party now. Huh. Target letter was sent. Jack Smith was seen leaving a subway in Washington, D.C. And I want to you know why. I'm going to give you my theory why I think this is important. But this is from today, Special Counsel Jack Smith spotted in D.C. By the way, only the second time he's been spotted by media cameras in D.C. And I'm going to show you the first in a moment. But let me show you what was caught on camera today. The Jack Smith can't resist a $5 footlong. That's according to what we see right there, new and exclusive CNN video of the special counsel at Subway. Declining, though, to respond to reporters' questions uh -huh. about today's big news, a target letter sent to the former president of the United States, CNN's Evan Perez, was there <laughs> trying to track down the special...
So the only other time we've spotted special counsel Jack Smith in Washington, D.C. was June 6th, two days before the grand jury ultimately indicted Donald Trump in connection with the willful retention of national defense information in the Southern District of Florida. So let me show you the clip where Jack Smith is spotted for the first time in Washington, D.C., June 6th, last month, and then two days later, Trump gets indicted. Play this clip. Hey there, Mr. Smith, how are you doing? Gary Grumbach from NBC News here. Is the indictment coming soon, sir? Is an investigation wrapping up, sir? Anything you'd like to say, Mr. Smith? NBC's Get Kendall. So, Special Counsel Jack Smith, if you looked in his. Hey. Hi there, I'm Christopher Prez. And I've got some great news for y'all today. But first, subscribe if you want to hear 24 hour indictment watch update. So, yeah, old Diaper Don got indicted for the third time. Nah. And this time it's going.